It's just a great joy to be back, and uh, thank you very much for coming and sitting close to me so I could talk to you. God bless you. The great joy is to be with people who've been praying for us and to be able to share answers of prayer. And I especially want to bring greetings from Al Negron. Uh, you might remember Al. This is Mark McCune. We'll start with Mark. Bring greetings from Mark McCune. You'll remember that he was with me in 05 when I came. We had a two years long prayer partnership between Church of the Open Door and CBC and Richardson. And Mark McCune came with me, came and asked you to pray one thing for him. We prayed many things for CBC. He wanted you to pray one thing for him, that the Lord would allow him to be a minister of his word full time. And Mark came and studied at Dallas Seminary for four years. And for the last two years, he's been leading a disciple-making movement from that church where he's standing there just outside of Kansas City. Mark wants to thank you, wants me to personally thank you for praying for him those years ago. And the year following that, 2006, the man who came with me was Al Negron. His life situation was very difficult. He had come from Puerto Rico, met Christ in this country. His family situation made it so it was almost impossible that his dream could come true, but he asked you to pray for him that he would somehow be able to get the training that he needed, that he also would be able to minister the gospel full time. Four years ago, Al Negron was ordained to the gospel ministry in answer to prayer, and he has been pastoring the Spanish ministry of Church of the Open Door and leading a disciple-making movement there. But what we were praying for you during that time was that God would give you some way to make disciples among Muslim people. I prayed that prayer request with you for two years, and in 2011, God began to answer that prayer by sending Rebecca and me what we had never entered our minds. Where for the last three and a half years, we have had a disciple-making ministry to Muslim people group. I believe this is a direct answer to two years of praying when two churches agreed together to pray for one another. And according to the scripture, one might almost say that all things are accomplished by prayer, all things that we most want, and that without prayer, there is no glory. And I'm asking the Father that today he would give us that opportunity as we open his word, that he would open our eyes to be able to see faith-filled praying and to emulate that example we pray prayers of greater faith. We would see answers that would increase our faith and increase our praying for the glory of Christ Jesus in his church. Amen. This morning I'm thinking about a king, a biblical king. It's a quiz. Everybody should answer this quiz one way or the other. I want to know whether you think this king I'm thinking about is a good king of Judah or is one of the evil kings of Israel? Everybody should answer this. King I'm thinking about, the Bible says that the way his kingdom was established was that he ordered the death of three men. One of the men that he ordered killed was his own brother. This king that I'm thinking about, the Bible says his throne was established when he entered into a treaty with the pagan king of Egypt, Pharaoh, 
And he sealed that treaty by marrying the daughter of that pagan king. And the Bible says that he celebrated the establishment of his kingdom by offering a thousand sacrifices upon one of the high places. All right. Do you, hearing this description, do you say that must have been one of the good kings of Judah or one of the bad kings of Israel? How many would say that must be one of the good kings of Judah? Raise your hand, please. Very good. And how many of you would say that must have been one of the wicked kings of Israel? Very good. We have about a third saying a good king of Judah and about a third saying a wicked king of Israel and about a third that refused to commit. (laughs) Everybody who voted is right. Everybody who voted is right because this is one of the good, bad kings of Judah and Israel is Solomon, the son of David. And if you'd open the scripture to 1 Kings chapter 3, 1 Kings chapter 3, and you've already been so kind to come and sit forward, would you also rise with me, stand with me, as we read the first ten verses. This is First Kings chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Then Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh king of Egypt and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were still sacrificing on the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask, what do you wish me to give to you? And Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you, and you reserved for him this day this great loving kindness that you've given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, Yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people which you have chosen, a great people who cannot be numbered or counted for a multitude. And so give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked, this thing. Amen. You may be seated. We read those first ten verses. I think the pivot, the turning point in those ten verses comes at the beginning of verse three. If we read that again, it says, Now Solomon loved the Lord. We're speaking of a young man in his very early twenties, believed that he took the throne at age eighteen, and by this time he's about twenty one. He wasn't getting everything right. 
We could say he wasn't getting marriage right because he had married the daughter of a pagan king. He wasn't getting grace right because he was ordering the death of his enemies. He wasn't getting worship right because that's the one way he wasn't walking in the way of his father David. He was still offering on the high places long after David had brought the ark to Jerusalem and only worshipped there. We'd say that this young man was getting it all wrong on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart and God saw how that Solomon loved the Lord. And that's the crucial thing. It made the man grateful. Solomon was grateful. You see his gratitude in this prayer. He comes before the Lord with gratitude because of all that God did for his father David. And it made him humble. made him willing to admit, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm only 21. And i got to rule over this great people. I don't have the experience that my father David had. I need help. I need a wisdom. That humility and that love drew God the Father's heart. And God asked him this question, the question that divides the spiritual men from the worldly boys. He said, ask me, what do you want me to do for you? God points out that you could have asked anything. I would have given you whatever you asked. You didn't ask for riches, you could have. You didn't ask for the death of your enemies, and you could have. I am going to give you such a superabundance. This wisdom that you asked for, I'm going to give you such a superabundance. No one who's ever lived before or will live after until Christ Jesus himself came could compete with Solomon for wisdom. It was a superabundant grace. It's the way God gives. He gave him wisdom. I want you to notice that in that vision that Solomon had, God didn't say, well, if you're so on fire for me, then why did you marry that woman? He didn't say that. If you're so on fire for me, then why are you killing your enemies? If you're so on fire for me, then why are you here offering me these sacrifices in the wrong place? God didn't say a word that would make Solomon think that his sacrifice was not acceptable because it was offered in the wrong way at the wrong place. God saw his heart and accepted his offerings. And Solomon himself, when he woke up and realized it was a dream, we're in verse 15 now. Solomon awoke and behold, it was a dream. What was the first thing that he did? He came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the Lord and offered burnt offerings and made peace offerings and made a feast for his servants. And he never went back to the high places again as long as he walked with God. It was when he met God face to face in worship that God got his practice right. I think it's not unusual that when we're young, we get a lot of things wrong. But the fire of the Holy Spirit burning in our hearts is what God looks on and what draws His heart to us. And a fervent and a contrite heart He can't despise. This is just an illustration. 
We're actually going to look at two illustrations before we get to the main message. The main message is very brief, but it's one that's hard to understand. And so, ah, it's easy to understand. It's hard to accept. And so I want to lead with two illustrations. The second one is in 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 2, we see another great handoff. In a way, that prayer of Solomon that we read, there is a handoff from King David to Solomon by prayer at Gibeon. But now we see in 2 Kings chapter 2, a handoff from one prophet to the next. Elijah is the greatest prophet of the Old Testament after Moses. Elijah had that spirit of faith. And Elijah was discouraged. When he was discouraged and alone in the cave, crying out to God, take my life. God said, I'm not done with you, Elijah. And he gave him three main tasks. Anoint Elisha as your successor. Anoint Hazael, king in Damascus. Anoint Jehu, king in Judah. This was Elijah's great life task after Mount Carmel. And as Elijah finishes his life, he's only been able to accomplish one of those things. He has anointed Elisha as his successor. Everyone knows Elisha is going to take over for Elijah. And all of the prophets know that this is Elijah's last day. He's going to meet God. We see Elijah leaving the headquarters of their seminary in Gilgal and taking Elisha with him. They go then to their extension center at Bethel. And they see the prophets there. And they move from Bethel then to their next extension center, which was in Jericho. And they met the prophets there. And at each place, Elijah says to his successor, Elisha, Stay here. God has sent me on. And each time, Elisha says, not on your life. That's my interpretation of the Hebrew. Not on your life. I'm with you. Elijah is a taciturn man. He doesn't talk much, even on the best of days. But now we see Elijah has what we call today in modern athletics, his game face on. He's going to meet God. We might think that that would be thrilling. He's going to be taken up with a chariot of fire. Aren't you happy? Uh, Friends, there's great joy at the bedside of a Christian who's going to meet God. We're going to go to meet God. You have your game face on. This is an intense time for him. He'd rather do it alone. But his partner said, I'm not going to leave you, not for anything. And so they went together. We see that all the other prophets were standing at a distance, and just the two went out to the Jordan. And beginning in verse 8, we're in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 8, Elijah took his mantle, and he folded it together, and he struck the waters, and they were divided here and there so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. 
And it came about when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what shall I do for you before I'm taken? And Elisha said, Please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He takes his coat and he strikes the water and the waters part and he goes across with his successor Elisha and he asks him that question that God had asked Solomon, the question that separates the spiritual men from the boys. What can I do for you? What would you have me to do for you? And if it was you or me, tell the truth now, if it was you or me, wouldn't we have said, oh my father, if I could just have half the spiritual power that you've had, I would be a happy man. And now what we would say? Come on now. And now what we would say? I'm glad there's somebody who said, no, that's not what I would say. Because there was a man there with the spirit of faith who said, oh my father, if I could just have the spirit on me that's been on you, I want it double. I want twice that portion poured out on me. And please understand that there was no question that Elisha was to be the successor. That had been settled before when Elijah anointed him. What's he asking for here? The question in everyone's mind, the question in the 50 prophets who were standing by the Jordan and watching for as long as they could see, the question in their mind was not who's going to take over, but when Elisha assumes this responsibility, will he be able to lead us powerfully like Elijah did? Will he have the power to stand up to the wicked governments of our nation? Will he have the spiritual power to call God to action when we are in desperate need? And Elisha said, no, not half the power. I want twice. And Elijah is a man of great faith. And this is one of the few times we see him stumped, completely stumped. He said, verse 10, well, you have asked a hard thing. I don't believe that Elijah was being proud or haughty. But don't you think he realized that no prophet before had ever done the works that he did? Raised someone from the dead? And here, his associate whom he had trained said, I want twice what you got. Well, (laughs) you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, I'm with you on this. If you see me when I'm taken up, then you got what you asked. But if not, then not. The second most audacious prayer ever recorded in the Bible. And God said, yes. And in fact, when we read the audacious prayers recorded in the Bible, I can't find one where he said no. You might challenge me on that. I'm happy to be corrected. But no, I'm not. Because... 
God loves an audacious, faith-filled prayer. And he allowed Elisha to see Elijah when he was being taken up. I want you to notice a pattern in these illustrations before we go on to Jesus' word of promise that so are to enter our hearts. Notice a pattern here. Solomon, Solomon has his problems. Would you say that Solomon was a greater king or David? I'm serious. I'm asking you this question. Would you say that David was the greater king or was Solomon? It's very important what you say. Very important how you determine that. Was Solomon greater or was David? Because the city is called not the city of Solomon, but the city of David. The throne is not called the throne of Solomon. It's the throne of David. The Messiah was never called the son of Solomon. The Messiah is the son of David. Amen. And yet, Solomon did what David could never do. He built the temple of God. And it pleased God to allow Solomon to build that temple for the glory of his name. The wall around Jerusalem was encompassed twice as much of the city under Solomon as under David. And Solomon was the one who completed the wall. The area, the holy land we call it today, Expanded to twice its size under Solomon as under David. In fact, Solomon accomplished twice what his father David accomplished. And yet David was the man after God's own heart. How did he do that? The trajectory, the entire trajectory of Solomon's life was determined by one night in prayer when he said, In answer to the question, what do you want me to do for you? He said, I want wisdom and discernment. It pleased God to give it to him. He asked his one thing, and he held on to God by faith, and he received it. Now, would you say that Elisha was a greater prophet or Elijah? was the greatest prophet? Elisha? Or Elijah. Because John the Baptist was prophesied to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, not Elisha. And yet, Elisha received his request. In fact, I'm just going to step you through the ways in which God answered Elisha's prayer to give him twice the spiritual power. God sent Elijah to anoint Elisha. Remember we said that. He gave him three assignments. Anoint Elisha. Elijah did that one. The other two, Hazael and Jehu, were anointed by whom? Say Elisha. Were anointed by whom? Say Elisha. Were anointed by whom? Thank you. Jesus says in Luke 4.25, that the drought 
under Elijah. The Elijah, the Elijah drought lasted for three years and six months. That's Luke 4.25. The seven-year drought was prophesied by whom? Say Elisha. Three and a half years of the Elijah drought, the seven-year drought by whom? Elijah crossed the Jordan on dry land. On the way back, so did Elisha. But who purified the water when he got to Jericho, say Elisha? Elijah rescued a widow and her one son with an endless supply of oil. But who rescued a widow and her two sons with an endless supply of oil, say Elisha? What Elijah never did and no one since the time of Moses, Elisha's prayer healed the leper Naaman and took that leprosy and put it on Gehazi. Who healed a leper? Not Elijah. Who healed the leper? Elisha. He recovered an axe head by making it float. He brought salvation to three armies by filling the entire valley of Edom with water. He blinded an army at Dothan and opened the eyes of his servant to see powerful armies, spiritual armies of angels. Elijah's prayer raised a dead boy. Never heard of before. That someone by prayer would raise the dead. Elisha, by prayer, opened the womb of the Shunammite woman so that the dead womb could bear a son. And then when that son died, raised him from the dead. Twice the spiritual power of his forefather, Elijah. Elijah raised one man from the dead. Elisha raised two. Did you know that? Elisha raised two. If you just turn now to 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings 13. And I'll just read a couple of verses beginning in verse 20. 2 Kings 13 and verses 20 and 21. Now Elisha died. And they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites would invade the land in the spring of the year. And as they were burying a man, behold, they saw a marauding band. And they cast that man into the grave of Elisha. But when the man, the dead man, touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Did God answer the second most audacious prayer in the Bible? I think so. He asked for a double portion. He got his double portion. But notice how that Elisha also received the double portion by prayer. It wasn't Elijah that gave him the double portion. It was both men agreeing in prayer that God would give to Elisha that double portion of the Spirit that had been upon Elijah. Now we come, most of this message has been illustration. You've heard those two illustrations 
Now we want to hear the promise of Jesus that's so hard. It's so hard to penetrate our hearts. I want you to hear what Jesus said. This is Jesus' word speaking to his disciples, but also speaking to you and me. John chapter 14, and I'll be reading verses 12 to 14. Jesus said, Hear these words are spoken directly to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. I'm just going to read verse 12 again. Let Jesus speak directly to you in his own words. When he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. We led with two illustrations today, because when Jesus says this, it's hard for us to believe it. We believe it, but it's hard for us to know it, for it to really penetrate our hearts. But I just wanted you to see how that this happened before in the Old Testament. Solomon is not greater than David, but he got his prayer. He learned how to pray from his father, and he prayed, and he got his prayer. And he was able to accomplish twice as much as his father before him because he was building on the foundation of the faith of his father David. Elisha was not greater than his father in the spirit, Elijah. But he prayed and he got his prayer and he received that double portion and he was able to accomplish twice as much as Elijah had done before him because he was building on the foundation of faith of his forefather, Elijah. All those miracles we spoke of in Elisha, what we didn't mention is that at the end of Elijah's life, the nation was still mired in paganism and evil. But under Elisha's ministry, there was a revival and a restoration of temple worship. On top of all of those miracles that he did, he accomplished twice as much, not because he was a greater man, but because he was a man of prayer and of faith and he built on a solid foundation of faith. And Jesus tells us clearly in this very same message, the disciple cannot be greater than his teacher. You will not be greater than your teacher. Jesus is the forefather, the forerunner, the apostle of our faith and our confession. We will never be greater than he is, but we will do greater works. Why? Because, he says, I'm going to my Father. I'm going to be there with my Father. You have an advocate now with the Father. And because Jesus said not only that, but in chapter 15, you'll have to turn a page, I'm sorry, John chapter 15, and in verse 16 he says, You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would remain, and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. 
You're going to do all the works of Christ Jesus because you're following him. And greater works than these because that's why Jesus chose you. When he called you to him, when he brought you to be his disciple, he had these plans in mind for you already that you would do greater works than those that he did, and he's in heaven next to his Father interceding for you so that you will, so that you cannot fail. And he says, whatever you ask, I'm back in 14, I'm sorry, John 14, we read verse 12, now verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. We will do greater works than Jesus because we're following his example and because he chose us on purpose that we would do those works, because he called us to those works, and because he promised us that whatever we would ask in his name, he would do it. And because it's the Father's plan so that the Father could receive glory through the Son because we're praying mighty prayers in the name of His Son, that He would be pleased to answer them. Well, I asked the young people to sit down here, and they did it. Now I'm going to talk to the old people, and I'm just going to say, we got big problems. I prayed this prayer for my team. God gave me eight men and women, all in their late 20s, early 30s, Four of them married, four of them single. God gave them to Rebecca and me to train to become missionaries like us. We had them for two and a half years. And on the 24th of July this year, we said goodbye. And I prayed for them. I prayed this prayer, a double portion that they would be able to accomplish twice what we did. A double portion of the Spirit and of His power upon them. Because we live in a remote place, a place where there is no internet and no telephone service, we didn't hear anything from them for another month. At the end of that month, when they were able to come out to civilization and they sent their reports, They were great reports. God truly is answering our prayer and doing for them in a period of of a month or two what it would have taken us six months to accomplish for Rebecca and me. It's truly answering our prayers. And I wanted you to be down here because I'm going to make a confession. Confess my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. I confess to you for the first 60 seconds after I read that, I was mad. Because I said, when they gave their report, they told me, we're not doing what you were doing. We changed everything after you left. (laughs) And now, God's doing twice as much as He was before. And I said, is this true or not? I said to my wife, Rebecca, who was my witness sitting right there, I said, well, I hope they don't think It's because they're doing it this way. Fortunately, it wasn't my wife who convicted me. It was the Holy Spirit. I could take it better from him. (laughs) Colin, didn't you ask for exactly this? 
And would you rather, Colin, would you rather that they were failing right now just so that you could be right? Whoa. No. I think I've been healed. I think I've been healed from the desire to see it done the way I was doing it back in my day. I'm 55 and it's time for some 20-somethings, some 30-somethings. Pick up the coat and part the river. Do it their way. and Make their own mistakes. So that we could see a double portion of the Spirit. And lest we think, as one sister said to me just the other day, what are we, chopped liver? Lest we think that, let's just remember, the men who did the double work, who saw the kingdom expand double, who did twice the spiritual miracles, they did it upon the foundation of faith that was left by faithful. That's my confession. Here's my invitation. (laughs) A special invitation for you. It's for everybody, but I'm just going to focus right here, if you don't mind. This is my invitation. You heard Carrie Dula invite us all back for Wednesday, September the 16th, that we would be able to have a prayer meeting about prayer. Now I'm going to be there. I've got to go to Austin. I'm coming back especially so I can be with you on the 16th. God helping me, I'm going to be with you. And if you have a prayer request, if you say, I think God's calling me to do something. I'm not sure exactly what it is. I think God has his hand on me, calling me into something. Would you pray for a double portion? Would you pray that prayer for a double portion for me? I will stay for as long as I have to stay. We'll pray those prayers together. We're looking. We're looking for God to raise up men and women. He does it at a young age. That fire that God put in me when I was 19, turning 20, has never burned out. I got old, but I didn't get any less passionate. And let's pray. Oh, Father, you've done so much for my generation of faith. My generation prayed and the walls of the Iron Curtain came down and the Gospel spread even being broadcast today in Russia. The Church of Jesus Christ revived and the Gospel going out in every nation behind the Iron Curtain. My generation prayed and you broke down that great wall of China and now the gospel is entering China and it's the fastest growing church. And the scriptures are being printed in China in the millions of copies. Truly, you blessed my generation and answered our prayers. Now we've started to pray and ask that you would break down the walls of Islam that the nations that have been kept in darkness might see a great light. And we're just beginning to see the cracks form. Now, Father, I'm praying for a new generation of prayer to rise up and take this baton of faith 
I pray that it would happen here at CBC Richardson, that we would see a new generation of young people who are on fire for Christ Jesus, who are telling their friends about him, and who are praying great prayers for the kingdom and receiving their answers in Jesus' name. Amen.